once in a while a young preacher will ask me where's the best place to get sermons and and uh, how, how do you how do you preach over and over when you've been at a place a while and uh, I, I'm, I always think about a former pastor of mine I used to preach a revival for him every summer he was pastoring in Siler City North Carolina and the reason I love to go to his church is because he had the largest library of any preacher I had ever been around. He just had thousands of volumes of books, many of them out of print. And I just get lost in his library. I could spend a week back there just book after book. And he walked in one day when I was sitting there reading some of those uh, great historic books. And uh, I looked up at him and I said, uh, Pastor Nance, where's a uh, out of all these books you got, where, where would you find some good sermons? He threw a Bible at me. He said, try this. There's a lot of good ones in here. <laughs> and I tell young preachers, the, the best preaching that you can do is out of the overflow of what you're feeding yourself. And I would say to this to all of you that are in ministry in any form, whether you're a teacher or whatever you're doing, if you're going to minister to other people, you've got to feed yourself. And every once in a while, I, I, I see preachers or listen to people that I feel like they're just searching for sermon material and they aren't feeding their spirit. And the best message you'll ever give is one that's just the overflow. You've just been feeding yourself and the Word of God just, just fills you up and the Spirit of God just fills you up and you overflow. That's one place. Um, there's another, and that's out of experience. Uh, what you're going through, just uh, feel free to share that. We're all alike. Sometimes you get the idea that people on the platform live in some kind of a spiritual bubble, and uh, they're, they're immune from what you go through. That's not true at all. The Apostle James, when he spoke about one of the greatest prophets that's ever lived, Elijah, he said, really, when you get right down to it, he's just like all of the rest of us. He dealt with the same kind of trials, same kind of problems, same kind of difficulties. He, you know, he struggled with depression. He, you know, he, he was just a man just like we are. The difference was his connection with God, his communication with God. And so we, we talk about what we're going through. And I'm going to talk to you this morning. The title of my message is, So You're in a Valley. <laughs> and I'm talking out of experience. So I'll just share my heart with you today. I'm, I'm, Faye and I have been in a valley for a while, and so we're going to share the valley with you today, all right? So you're in a valley. Let me ask you this. How many of you have, have uh, at some point in your life, or maybe even right now, you've gone through uh, a valley experience? Any, anybody in here been in it? I thought so. Uh, the, the, the bottom line is you either have been in a valley or you are in a valley, or you're going to go through a valley, because you got to go through valleys. And for my text today, I want to read the, probably the most well-worn verse of Scripture in the entire Bible that has the word valley in it, and it's from Psalms 23, verse 4. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you're with me, your rod and staff, they comfort me. Webster's Dictionary says that a valley is a low ground or low place between hills or mountains. 
metaphorically speaking, a low place physically, it could be mentally, emotionally, it could be spiritually, it could be financially. It's when you go down into a low place, a place where you feel sometimes like you're forsaken or you feel like you, you've lost touch. Uh, ha have, you, have you ever been to that place where you, you feel like your prayers are hitting the ceiling and, and um, you, you just, you, you just kind of lost? You, you're hit from every side. You don't know exactly where, where it's coming from or what you're going through. Well, those are valleys. Now, life does not exist with just mountaintop experiences. It'd be nice if it did, I guess, but that's not the way it is. Moses, one of the greatest men that ever lived. Man, you're talking about mountaintop experiences. Good time of living. He was on Sinai when God came down in such a powerful way, all Israel thought the whole mountain was on fire. And there was lightnings and thunderings, and God showed up personally and, and wrote on stone the Ten Commandments and gave them to Moses. My goodness, the presence of God. What a mountaintop experience to be with God like that. And yet he had to come down from the mountain, and he faced valleys as well. I, I want to look at uh, some valleys, and I've talked to you about valleys before, but this morning I want, I want to kind of revisit this particular subject and um, there are a lot of valleys that are mentioned in Scripture. I'm going to pull out three and just look at them briefly. That's not my message. I'm not going to go in great depth on these three because the main point I want to make to you is what do you do when you're in a valley? That's the practical aspect uh, that we need to take from here today, and I'll get to that towards the end. But, but there are three valleys that always really jump out at me when I think about valleys in the Scripture. One of them is the Valley of Baraka, and uh, that's uh, in Second Chronicles chapter 20. Uh, you could call it the Valley of Victory and the Valley of Blessing, although it certainly didn't seem like that in the beginning with Jehoshaphat and uh, all of the children of God who were following his leadership. And then there's the Valley of Elah that's found in 1 Samuel chapter 17. That's where a little boy named David came up against a giant called Goliath in that valley. And then there's the valley of Midian in Judges chapter 7, where Gideon with 300 men faced armies that spread, well, I'll talk more about it in a little bit, but it, the, the, they were so outnumbered it was just ridiculous. First of all, I want, to think, I want you to think about the plight of those valleys when you look at the first one that I mentioned, Jehoshaphat was one guy, although he was king and had an army, it didn't even compare with three armies that had confederated together against him. Uh, three armies had joined together. One historian said that, uh, that, 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 it was, that it was so massive that you couldn't even see the end of it all around them. And then the second one, think of the plight that David faced when he faced Goliath. Here's a little guy, and he's facing a giant that's over eight feet tall, who is a warrior. David's not a warrior. David's a shepherd boy. He's a psalmist. He's a singer. He's a musician. He keeps sheep on the backside of the desert for his daddy. And yet he's confronted by this huge giant. And then with Midian, 
with just, God had pared his army down till there were only 300 men. You could put all the soldiers that Gideon had in these two sections right here in the church this morning, and he was facing an army that was so massive that one of the historians said that their camels looked like the ocean and their troops looked like the sea. In other words, as far as you could look in any direction, you're still seeing those warriors ready to come against 300 men. Oh, the, and, and I've, I've noticed that when you're in a valley, it feels like everything's against you. Have you noticed that? It feels like the odds are against you. It just feels like they're more against you than is for you. That's the, the feeling that you get. That, that's the situation with those three that I just mentioned. But, but let me remind you of this. God's Word has a promise for us for every situation we face in life. Doesn't matter what it is. There, there, there's an answer right here. I remember years ago, you, you, might, you might remember it, there was a bumper sticker that was kind of popular. A lot of people had it on the back of their car. It said, uh, Christ is the answer. And uh, one atheist said, if Christ is the answer, what's the question? And praise the Lord, the guy he asked that had the right answer. He said, whatever the question, Christ is the answer. Praise God. Amen. He, he's the answer. And, and so there's, there's something in this Word for us. No matter what season of life we're in, no matter what phase of life we're going through, there is something here. And I want you to notice in those three valleys that I mentioned, although the odds were against God's people, uh, God had a promise for each one of them. Let me read the first one in 2 Chronicles 20, verse 15. Thus says the Lord to you, do not be afraid nor dismayed because of this great multitude, for the battle's not yours, but God's. The battle is not yours, but God's. We forget that sometimes. We get down the valley and then we run into opposition and, and things come against us and we, we get the idea sometimes we're fighting this. No, 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 no. The battle's not ours. The battle is the Lord's. The battle is the Lord. Look, look, at, look at 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 47. I love this. When David came out against that great big giant, this is what he told him. He said, then all the assembly shall know that the Lord does not save with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he'll give you into our hands. That's what David told that giant. That giant, that giant was laughing at David. That giant had a spear. He could have nailed, he could have nailed David, pinned him into the ground from here to the sound booth back there with one throw of that great big old spear that he had. <laughs> and David is standing there saying, in other words, he said, battle's not mine, battle's the Lord's. God's got this. You're in trouble, not me. This is what this God said about Gideon. In fact, Gideon overheard some of the Midianite soldiers. Now remember, they're outnumbered by tens of thousands to one. 300 men against an army as far as you can see in every direction. Look like standing looking at the ocean. You can't see the end of it. It's what, the, what it looked like. But the champion answered and said, this is nothing else but the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel. 
Into his hand God has delivered Midian and the whole camp. Listen, if you just only knew this morning that if you will turn the battle over to the Lord, the enemy is shaking in his boots. Because while you think you're outnumbered, greater is he that is in us than he that's in the world. Now, thirdly, I want you to look at God's protection. God chooses the weapons. I, I love this. In spiritual warfare, God chooses the weapons. And he can choose some of the strangest things to fight with. That first one that I mentioned to you, the, battle, the Valley of Barakah, the, the Jehoshaphat and all of Judah standing against those three confederated armies, God used the choir. Did you know God can use the choir to fight the devil? Yes, he can. The choir's not entertainment. Musicians and singers in the, in the work of the Lord, they're not here to entertain you. They're to help you in this battle against the enemy. And God can use it for victory. Amen? Amen. In the second one, God used a slingshot. David tried on the armor of Saul, and it was just too big for him. He was just dragging the ground. He just said, I, I can't handle this. And God used a slingshot and a stone. Now, uh, let me tell you, when, when David wound up that slingshot, I know everybody thinks, boy, that guy, he was great with a slingshot. No, it wasn't his greatness with a slingshot. It was the breath of God that hit that stone when he let it go. And glory to God. And the Spirit of God drove that stone right into the head of that giant. And he fell to the ground, and God gave the victory. And then in Gideon's situation, God used, God used trumpets, and God used a, a, a vessel like a, uh, like a vase and a candle to win a battle against that mighty army. God can do it in strange ways, ways you never thought of. God is able to do it. Now, the fourth thing I want you to notice here is God's provision. Now, if you're going to get God's provision, you're going to have to give the battle to God, no matter how ridiculous it looks like uh, what he's using uh, is in this situation. You're going to have to turn it over to the Lord. Uh, the, in the first case, uh, an angel of the Lord came and fought with them. In the second case, there was supernatural speed in the direction of that stone. In the third situation, there was distraction among the enemy until they started fighting themselves. God's got multiple ways that he can do it. He will always provide, but you've got to allow him. You've got to turn the battle over to the Lord. You've got to release it to the Lord. You've got to recognize that it's him. And here, here's what I want to get to this morning, and that is our participation in this battle. What do we do? What do you do when you're in a valley? What do you do when the enemy confronts you and tries to, he'll always attack you when you're down. He'll, he'll come at you, you know, if he can get you down. So it reminds me of a, a comedian many years ago. He said, when a man's down, kick him. That's, that's the enemy's philosophy. When a, when a man's down, kick him. If he can get you down, what, look out because uh, he's going to call for some help and he's going to try to get you while you're down. Uh, here's what you need to do. First of all, you need to realize that you can't do it by yourself. Look at what Jehoshaphat said in 2 Chronicles 20 and 12. 
Oh, our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power against this great multitude that has come against us, nor do we know what to do. Do you realize who's admitting this? <laughs> he wouldn't fit with politicians today, would he? All of them got the answer to everything. My goodness, alive. Um, but Jehoshaphat is the king. And Jehoshaphat says, I've looked at this situation. He goes before the Lord and he said, God, I just got to admit it. I don't know what to do. I just don't know what to do. We need to realize that we don't know what to do. In fact, the, the thing that gets you in the most trouble in the valley is when you start trying to work it all out yourself. Just, just go ahead and admit that you don't know what to do. The second thing you need to do is since you don't know what to do, look to God. Let me go back over this verse and add the last part to it. Oh, our God, he's praying now, will you not judge them? For we have no power against this great multitude that's coming against us. No, do we know what to do? Look at this, though. But our eyes are upon you. You need to get your eyes on the Lord. Look up. When you're in a valley, when you're down, look up. Sometimes I try to cheer folks up in the hospital, and I tell them, I say, look up. You know, when you're flat of your back, you just got one way to look. <laughs> just look up. And that's what Jehoshaphat said. He said, Lord, I don't know what to do. I'm the king, and I don't have the answer. And by the way, folks, don't ever get so big that you can't admit that there are times when you don't know what to do. Because life is designed where all of us go through some of those periods of time when we just flat don't know what to do. And the best thing you can do is just go ahead and admit it. You, you say, well, I, I might affect my manhood. Oh, good night. Get over it. <laughs> there, there's nobody that's smart enough that has the answer for everything except the Lord. Just look up. Now, by the way, when you look up, there are three things that you have to get your eyes off of to look up. First of all, you've got to get your eyes off yourself. If you, keep, if you just keep your eyes on yourself, uh, it, it won't be long until you'll be having a pity party. You'll be feeling sorry for yourself. And I, I'm not trying, I know some of you are going through some tough stuff right now, and please don't, please don't get upset with me here this morning. I'm not trying to minimize what you're going through at all. But, but I do want to help you to get out of this and get to the next level. Get out of the valley. God's got another mountaintop experience waiting on you. He wants to get you there. But you've got to get your eyes off yourself. You've got to get your eyes off your past. Quit looking in the rearview mirror. Look out the windshield. Your future is ahead of you, not behind you. If the enemy can keep you captured looking in that little bitty glass up there, the rearview mirror, and just keep you looking at, at the past, looking at the past, good time of living. All of us have got regrets over the past. There's probably not a person, in, if you've lived very long at all, there's not a person in this room this morning, if you couldn't go back and do some things a little bit different, you wouldn't, you, you wouldn't grab that opportunity and go with it. We've all made mistakes. We've all failed. We've all fallen short. We've all made miserable decisions at times and, and messed up in the past. But let the past be the past. Amen. Let's, let's look to the future. Look to the future. And finally, get your eyes off your weakness. 
the enemy gets you in a valley and gets you feeling down, he'll jump on you and tell you how weak you are and you can't do this and you can't do that and you can't do what you used to and you're not strong enough for that. Tell him to get behind you. Here's what we should do. We should praise the Lord. Amen. Amen. Now, when you're in a valley, I, I know from experience, you don't always feel like praising the Lord. You don't always feel like getting in the Word. You don't always feel like praying. But what has feelings got to do with any of that anyway? Amen. God's still God whether I feel good or feel bad. God's still God whether I'm up or down. God's still God whether I'm rich or poor, sick or well. He's God, and He's worthy of praise. Here's what, here's what they did in 2 Chronicles 20, 21. And when they had consulted with the people, he appointed, Joshua appointed, uh, Je uh, Jehoshaphat appointed those who should sing to the Lord and who should praise the beauty of his holiness as they went out before the army. They were saying, praise the Lord for his mercy endures forever. Praise the Lord for his mercy endures forever. Here's this little army and this choir out on the front <laughs> of, the, of the army going into the teeth of three confederated nations of armies right out in front of them. And they're walking out there and said, praise the Lord, his mercy endures forever. Praise the Lord for his mercy endures forever. How many of you are glad for the mercies of God? Yeah. Amen. Yeah. Jeremiah said his mercies are new every morning. When you opened your eyes this morning, God had fresh new mercies waiting on you for this very day. Praise the Lord for his mercy endures forever. Praise the Lord for his mercy endures forever. They just praise the Lord and glory to God. God can't, well, let me read. I'll just keep reading here. When Josaphat and his people came to the take of spoil, they found among them an abundance of valuables of dead from the dead bodies and precious jewels which they'd stripped off of themselves more than they could carry away. And they were three days gathering up the spoil because it was so much. And the fear of God was on all the kingdoms of those countries when they heard that the Lord had fought against the enemies of Israel. Then the realm of Joshua, Jehoshaphat was quiet for God had given them rest on all sides. When they started praising the Lord, they got out there, and to their surprise, God had already sent his angel and took care of the enemy. I want to tell you something this morning. If you'll just get your eyes off yourself, just keep your eyes on the Lord and say, Lord, I don't know what to do, but I've got my eyes on you. And while I'm looking at you, I'm just going to take advantage of this opportunity to praise you. And I'm just going to praise you and praise you and praise you and praise you and praise you. And you'll give God an opportunity to release his warring angels. You've heard me preach this before. I won't take a lot of time to do it now. But when Lucifer fell, he was the leader of the worshipers in heaven. And that left a vacancy when he took a third of the angels with him. And so the warring angels now worship the Lord because God's name shall never cease to be praised. And the word-bearing angels now worship the Lord. But when you and I worship the Lord, God can release those angels to fight in our behalf. Praise God. Glory to God. <laughs> When that choir got to singing and praising the Lord, God got to listening, and God said to, to um, 
God said to uh, Michael, the archangel that's over the warriors, he said, you guys can have some time off. They're doing a good job praising me down there this morning. Take some of those angels and go fight their battles. I don't know about you, but I'd rather praise than fight. I know some people act like they like to fight all the time. They like to be in a battle, like to be in a fight, 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 fight. You can fight all you want to. I'd rather praise the Lord. If I've got a choice on whether to fight this battle or to praise the Lord and let him fight it, I'm just going to praise the Lord. Let the angels take care of the battle. Amen. Somebody give him some praise this morning. Now, you've heard me say this many times. I'm, I'm bringing this to a close. I plan to end this message right here this morning. Um, in fact, I'd already sent all my notes in, everything for the screen and the, the interpreters for the Spanish and everything. And I, yesterday morning, just in a time of worship, God got my attention on something that I have read in Scripture probably hundreds of times, but I never put it together before until yesterday morning. I want to share that with you as I close, but this, this is where I was going to close. I've told you this before. Always remember this. When you're in a valley, you're just changing mountains. You can't get from this mountain to that mountain without going through the valley. So God leads you through the valley so he can get you to your next mountaintop experience. So when you're going through a valley, you're just changing mountains. But, but here, here's, what, here's what I want to share with you. If, you. if you miss everything else that I said this morning, I, I want you to get just these next, give, give me your undivided attention, if you will, for about five minutes. I, I want to show you something that for some reason I'd never seen it before. One of my favorite passages of Scripture from the Old Testament is in Isaiah chapter 53. I, I love where he's talking about our Savior. Prophetically, Isaiah was looking down the road hundreds of years, thousands of years to the to what Jesus would do for us in our redemption. And part of that was our healing. And, and he said, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquity. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And by his stripes, we are healed. Let, let me stop there because one of the reasons I love that so is because the only reason I'm standing here in front of you this morning is because God's a healer. God's a healer. You've heard my testimony. I won't go back through it all, but, but when they told my parents that I couldn't possibly live and they shouldn't even pray for me to live because if I lived, I'd be a vegetable the rest of my life because my fever, they were literally bathing me, rolling me in ice trying to break the fever. They'd operated on me for four hours and 45 minutes and finally just gave up and sewed me up and started trying to save my life because of the fever. And the fever had gone so high I think they said it went somewhere around 109, and they said his brain is cooked. Now, I know some of you think they, the doctor's probably right on that, but, um, but they said he will never have any cognitive ability whatsoever. He'll, never, he'll be a vegetable if he could live, but it said, don't worry about that. He can't live. And, and my mom and dad were praying in our little church, North Winston Church of God, they gathered around outside of the operating room and they were praying in faith with my parents. And at the moment that I was supposed to die, they told them, they predicted, they told them about when I'd die. At the time I was supposed to die, I regained consciousness singing when God dipped his pen of love in my heart, wrote my soul a message 
he wants me to know an old song from the old red back hymnal about uh, the, the God and, and the joy that we have in him. And I'd go unconscious and come back a little bit and sing some more. And find, when I finally woke up completely awake, I was completely healed. God healed. So I, I, I love, I know that God's a healer. I know he's a healer. I, I've been there. I've, I've experienced it. But as many times as I've read this passage, and I, for some reason I never noticed that the Apostle Peter, when he's quoting from Isaiah, puts these same two verses together that Isaiah used. Because it's kind of strange to me how Isaiah goes here. He said, and by his stripes we're healed. Look at the next verse, verse 6. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Isn't that, isn't that kind of strange? And yet, and yet when you spend some time there, you realize that, that God has provided so much for us. And, and he lists some of it there. Wounded for our transgressions. Shouldn't have to worry about transgressions. He's taking care of that. Uh, bruised for our iniquity. He's taking care of that. Chastisement of our peace was upon him. We ought to have the peace of God that passes understanding. By stripes we're healed. There's healing provided for us. All of that. But the reason we haven't experienced it because all we like sheep have gone astray. We turn, we, we, we've wandered astray. We've gotten, we've gotten down in the valley and we've gotten lost and we've, we've floundered around. And we've, and, and we've, but, but Isaiah said, but God has laid on Jesus the, the iniquity of so He's going to take care of it. Now, turn with me to 1 Peter. Watch it on the screen. 1 Peter 2, 24 and 25. Um, this, is, this is so good. Um, I, they, they may, yeah, they do have it there. Um, I didn't know because I sent that in <laughs> later on. First uh, Peter two twenty four and twenty five, who himself Peter says bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we having died to sins might live unto righteousness, by whose stripes we were healed. Remember Isaiah was looking prophetically towards it. The apostle Peter is looking now historically back to it we were healed we were healed he he's looking back at it. but look at the next verse for you were like sheep going astray but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of our souls what again it seems kind of strange peter ties the same thing he said by stripes we were healed but but we've gone astray like sheep in other words we we're missing it because we've we've wandered astray we got out here in this valley and we've lost our way but again please get a hold of this this morning it was revelation to me God has laid on Jesus in, in fact the King James and the New King James and the NIV and the and and a whole bunch of translations that I checked on uh, translate this 25th verse the same way that we have returned to the shepherd of our of our of, of our souls that's not the original wording of this verse and the modern english translation has got it right i've studied this out in the original language for you were as sheep going astray but now have been returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. Now here, here, here it is. 
This lines up with what Jesus gave us in a parable in Luke chapter 15. How many of you remember the story of the good shepherd in Luke 15? You remember that? Talks about the good shepherd. He said the good shepherd leaves the 99 and he goes searching for that one sheep that has gotten lost. That lamb that's wandered astray, gotten lost. And he seeks for him until he finds him. And when he finds him, the picture is he reaches down. Maybe he's fallen there uh, off of a cliff or in a rocky place. And he, he picks him up and pulls him up by that. And he holds him close to himself and inspects him, makes sure he's okay. And then you've seen the pictures of the good shepherd. Then he takes that little lamb and puts him over his shoulders and, and holds him. And that little lamb just rests as he takes him back to the flock. Here it is. Here it is. One of the biggest mistakes that we make when we get in the valley is that we keep floundering around and we keep struggling away. We keep trying to work it out for ourselves. We keep trying to find out this, trying to find out that. Doctor gives you a new prescription, you go on the internet and read all the stuff. That'll make you sick right there. You, it'll, it'll just about kill you because you, somebody died with it, I'll guarantee you. Somebody, somebody had a, a irreparable damage from it, and, and it, boy, it, it'll, just, it'll just depress you. It'll just push you right on down. And, and, and so here you are floundering around. Let, listen, church, do you know what the sheep had to do to get back to the fold, to get the shepherd to come? You ready for this? This is theologically profound. Here's all the sheep had to do. Bah! 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 That's, that's all the sheep had to do. And all you've got, if you just stop, if you just stop, all you got to do is call out. This didn't say that the sheep found his way back. The proper translation is, but now you have been returned. Holy Spirit's looking out for you. God the Father's looking out for you. The good shepherd's searching for you. He's just waiting for you to be still and call out to him so he can reach down and pick you up put you across his shoulders and let you rest on his shoulder while he gets you through this valley. Oh, glory to God. David said, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. You're with me. Your rod and staff comfort me. The good shepherd's going to get you through this valley. The good shepherd's going to get you to the next mountain. The good shepherd's going to get you to the next place in him. Oh, glory to God. If you love him this morning, stand up and give him some praise. Hallelujah. Give God some praise in the house today. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Glory to God. Ha <laughs> ha, woo! Glory! Mm. <laughs> yes! Glory. I've made up my mind. I'm going to quit worrying about it. I'm going to stop struggling with it. 
the good shepherd's got my best interest at heart. I'm not smart enough to figure it out. I can't find my way by myself, but he didn't call me to do that. I'm the sheep. He's the shepherd. I'm just going to say bye. Help me, Lord. Help me, Lord. I'm here, Lord. I'm here, Lord. I'm going to rest in you. I'm going to trust in you. I'm going to look to you. I'm going to praise you. You know the way through this valley. You've been here before. Glory to God. Glory to God. I want the prayer team to come quickly, quickly, quickly. And I want everybody in this building right now that's going through a, you're between a rock and a hard place in some area of your life, or you're struggling, or you say, preacher, I've been in that valley. I've been in a dry place. I, I'm, 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 I'm in it right now. I, I, I want you this morning to come and find a place to pray. Either some of these people to pray with you or, or just find a place where you can pray by yourself. But preacher, that's me this morning. I, I, I need, I, I'm just going to come and say, Lord, here I am. Help me, Lord. Help me, Lord. And I'm just going to rest in the Lord. The altar's open, and Brother Steve's going to begin to sing in just a minute. But I want you all over the building. If that's you today, you say, Pastor, I've, I've, I've been in a valley. I'm in a valley now. I don't know where to go. I don't know what to do. I don't know. I, I don't know. But I'm going to put my eyes on the Lord. And I'm just going to call out to him. And I'm going to believe that before this service is over this morning, that the good shepherd is going to reach down and put me on his shoulders. And I'm just going to rest in him. I'm going to rest in him. And I'm going to trust him to get me to the other side of this valley. And if you've got other needs today, you come on and pray as well. If you're unsaved, come give your heart to Jesus. If you're away from God, come on home today. Renew your covenant vows with the Lord and, and get back where you ought to be with God. If you're sick in body, come this morning. Let's pray with you and pray for you. Believe God for healing. If you've got financial needs or family needs, whatever your needs might be, come on, the altar's open. God bless you.